Are you tired of losing your rights and freedoms? The Alberta Prosperity Project has a solution for you. Join the community and learn more at albertaprosperityproject.com. And with you on board, we can achieve freedom and prosperity for all of us. Good afternoon, everyone joining us at home, and I guess good morning, depending on what area of Canada you're joining us from. I'm your host, Tamara Ugolini, here with my lovely British Columbia correspondent and colleague, Drea Humphrey. Good morning, Drea. How are you doing? Morning, Tamara. I'm doing good. We got a good lineup of combo. Hi, everyone out there. Hope you're having a coffee if you're on the West. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we do have a great lineup. I was actually really excited looking at some of the topics that we had outlined to chat together. You know, I was thinking about last night, it always feels like I'm kind of coming back and talking to, with a friend, right? We're just having yeah. open dialogue. And uh, <laughs> I think that's a really important thing to, to do regularly. But I especially always appreciate when us rebels can get together and do that because we're so crazy busy all the time. It's it's often like just pushed to the back burner to actually have those conversations. So it's one part of the live stream that I find that I, I appreciate and I enjoy, um, especially with you, Drea. So thank you. Yeah, and the viewers too, because you guys get in on the super chats. So it's nice to be able to hear from you guys as well. Exactly. Yeah, it's a great way to engage with us. So if you are just joining us, this is our daily live stream. Uh, we started this at the beginning of the pandemic because there was just so much news coming out every day. So it's a way for us to kind of dissect and work through some of the latest happenings in in the world and more specifically here in Canada, since we are largely a Canadian based company. Um, so today, of course, is Thursday, August the 11th, and we'll be talking about some of the key headlines that we threw into our title. But unfortunately, at some point when we get into the COVID nitty gritty stuff, if you're joining us on YouTube, we will not be able to uncensoredly share our opinions on some of the topics. So unfortunately, we'll try to do some of the COVID uh, or sorry, some of the YouTube friendly items first. So we give our YouTube viewers time to switch over to another platform. Those include um, Getter, Rumble, and Odyssey. And on some of those other platforms, you can share Super Chat. So if you give a small monetary donation, which we appreciate to continue doing the work that we do and keep the lights on and keep our technology up to date, uh, you can do that. And then you get the opportunity at that point to engage with us directly on screen. So we'll read your super chat. And if we have a comment to make or some sort of dialogue to provide to that, then we just go ahead and have that interaction. So it's a great way for you, uh, our viewers, to let us know what you care about the most. So thank you for doing that. All right. So are we just going to dive in it? Are we going to go? I to, guess we to, should. <laughs> well, let's start with my province. It's like, you know, doing its typical radical leftist things here, especially in the environmental spectrum. So I think the first article we have here is from the Vancouver Sun. So Victoria is being super ambitious when it comes to, let's read this here. It says, almost all new construction in Victoria from single family homes to towers will be required to be zero carbon producers by 2025, meaning they can't be heated with fossil fuels such as natural gas, propane, or fuel oil. That's going to be costly. I mean, for mm -hmm. the average person, for the consumers, like this is, this is insane. It says, if we continue on, it says, citing concern about climate change and pollution, Victoria Council has made the decision to accelerate the reduction of greenhouse gases in new buildings 
five years, five years before provincial requirements, such beaver, mm -hmm. beaver, beavers out there. Uh, this means that using electricity to power equipment for space, heating, water, heating, cooking, and drying clothes, that's going, going to be the things that would change in those buildings. Mayor Lisa helps. Someone joked in one of my interviews about her that ever since she's come, she hasn't helped at all. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, very leftist Mayor Lisa helps says each new building will last more than 50 years. So raising the bar now is critical to meet our long-term climate goals and to preparing the taxpayers of the future to have less climate related costs down the road. Yeah. Mm. So, the thing I'm, that really <sighs> catches me there, the 50 years, right? The buildings will be there for more than 50 years, but I imagine yeah. they're going to go toward wind and solar to try to get the electricity. I mean, you still have to generate electricity somehow, and that's traditionally and most cost-effectively done by utilizing renewable energy um, and, and fossil fuels that are renewable. But I think that the plan there, if I can read between the lines, is to generate electricity then based on wind and solar generation. Um, I want to note that those, you know, for instance, in the case of solar panels, the life cycle on a solar panel is approximately 25 years. So if she's wanting yeah. buildings to last longer than 50 years, well, you're going to have to replace those panels twice in the duration of those that 50 years. I just, I don't know if there's that forethought of seeing these projects through that they can sensibly decide, you know, oh, this is a great investment. And plus, I'm pretty sure in Victoria, there's like record rain season, right? Is it, It's dark and dreary there a lot of the year. Well, yeah, in BC, it's slightly different than where I am out in the lower mainland, but there is a ton of rain as well out here. Um, so yeah, that's definitely consistent without here. But also, I mean, this is similar to what New York is promising to do as well, or much of New York. I think they want, you know, 70% of um, their emissions down as well. And then you have a lot of people raising issues there saying, well, what about cooking? You're saying we can't cook uh, the way we're normal. And they're saying they're not even going to be able to cook here. So you're right. They're not thinking these things through at all. I mean, Victoria declared a climate change emergency in 2019. So now you have mm -hmm. all these people just, you know, actively working to fix another, uh, you know, pandemic of sorts. And this time it's climate change and people are just getting paid a lot of bucks to come up with things here and make decisions. And you've got councils making these decisions to go five years earlier than the province. And you've got your signature goals there, the 2030 and 2050 dates that we hear all the time getting drilled into us. And yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much thought in this. It's not going to work out. And whenever a city like Victoria in a province like British Columbia, which is like the most taxes trying to say, Oh, we'll do this now. And you'll pay less later. Yeah. Give me a break. <laughs> later it's just... when it's like 50 years, apparently later when they really yeah. see that the true cost of these things to replace solar panels. I mean, that's not, an, that, that, that comes with a high burden of cost there. You're basically starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. I used to actually design solar panel arrays for buildings and businesses and, and homes, residential areas. Very brief because I saw it was a scam. I saw so oh, really? early on that it was a scam because by the time people got their return on investment, 
So, you know, they would put this huge upfront cost and there was all these grants and tax breaks and things supposedly to be given to Mm -hmm. them from the government. But once you worked out the nitty gritty of it, which was part of my job, um, Mm -hmm. you, you could see very clearly that once the people started to actually get the return on their initial investment, which is, you know, upwards of twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, the solar panels were at the end of their lifespan. So they would need to replace them anyway. So it was basically just uh, not cost effective at all and would potentially be putting people actually in the red to try to do this. And also there was a lot of legalities there where when you have a solar array, for instance, for a residential home, at least here in Ontario, and maybe it's changed since I was in that field, but you have to give all of the power that you generate back to the grid and then continue buying from the grid. So depending on how much power you generate and how much you're using, all the power you generate goes back into the grid. And I think they would pay like a measly amount per kilowatt hour for it. And then you still use your normal consumption and you had to legally do that. You have to sell it all back to the grid and not utilize it yourself for your own house. So it's like kind of nonsensical, right? You think you would put a solar panel array on your home to fuel your own home, but that wasn't the way it was working. You're such a Jill of all trades, Tamara. You well, just, <laughs> you're just everywhere. I don't know how you do it. But yeah, no, you totally hit it on the nail there. I mean, this is the city we have, you know, one week we'll have people throwing manure at, you know, John Horgan's office, Premier John Horgan's office. And the next week they're slashing, you know, mom's SUV tires to save the world so that they can't safely drive their kids to school or I guess it's summertime, so not school. I mean, but it's just a clown show over there. I'm sorry Mm -hmm. to say it. If you live in Victoria, don't come at me, but perhaps you agree with me. (laughs) And also apparently you've been in a climate emergency since 2019. So I don't know what exactly that means. I think like you alluded to that it's just the funding, right? As soon as they declare that state of emergency, that opens the door and the gateway to unlimited and unfettered access to provincial funding. So thank you for that, uh, residents of Victoria, if you have anything to say to us um, in that regard, how the climate emergency declaration has affected you, please do let us know. Um, Because other protesters now are taking to uh, Vancouver um, to denounce fossil fuels once again. So I think that they're planning a bigger demonstration this coming weekend, Drea, if you could give us a sneak peek into your schedule, do you plan on attending? Yeah, I'm going to do it, especially after seeing this. Um, I'll definitely need security uh, <laughs> to cover right. it. Um, but, you know, this, if you guys have ever been to da- Gastown, this is such a, you know, a special place. Around every 15 minutes, this clock, um, you know, makes some beautiful sounds and there's a story on it. And people always stop and go around it. And here you have this radical extremists pouring molasses over it. It's an anti-fracking demonstration. Let's watch a video of it. I think there's video, yeah. I don't think we have sound. If there, I can't remember. Yeah, if there's this. sound, I think there yeah. is. Oh, there we go. Oh my gosh. I think they were they were using molasses um, to I guess be like the, the result of fracking, and it was supposed to represent fossil fuels somehow. Um, I wonder if they're going to have their bank account seized. Like, are they? This is pretty radical, right? It's very disruptive. 
I know, right? I, no, of course, that's reserved for freedom lovers. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know what uh, parents' base from basement this uh, girl crawled out of. But you know, I just find it hard. How are these people providing themselves? They look like young adults, and they're doing things like this. I love in the article this Vancouver is awesome article towards the bottom. Um, it brings up David Suzuki, of course. It brings oh up David my Suzuki. gosh! I and, and that you as well. see this. You see what happened to the truckers, just totally peaceful protest gets totally attacked. But whenever it's something like this, they always get to throw in like someone, oh, David Suzuki told Vancouver is awesome in a previous interview that he understands why groups such as Extinction Rebellion engage in civil disobedience, adding that humanity is on a suicidal path. Well, if it's How a suicidal extreme. path, I don't think it has anything to do with the climate. It might be something else going on there. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, yeah, there's always someone condoning this type of illegal activity when it's, you know, something radical and on the left. Exactly. When it supports the current thing. And I mean, I think that we should also remember that David Suzuki was the person who threatened to blow up pipelines. I mean, how is he over here saying society or humanity is on a suicidal path when who knows <laughs> what kind of destruction and loss of life it would cause to literally blow up a pipeline? Like that is so radically extreme. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's just being facilitated by all of the government policy that's coming in with, all, with this radical environmentalism that yeah. makes no sense. Like financially no. and output wise, it literally does not make any sense. Um, as I've already kind of alluded to about the solar array stuff and the wind generation. I mean, all of them have really glaring issues wrapped in this virtue of trying to be environmentally friendly i mean wind turbines never decompose right there it's just it's insane it is in my opinion it is insane um I also wanted to know in this article that one of the demonstrators allegedly shouts into a megaphone uh they've destroyed the water table there's now radiation yeah. in the water table have they ever seen the absolute cesspools that have been created by lithium mining, right? Because mm -hmm. all of these alternative energy sources depend right. on batteries. Reliant. Yeah. Yeah. And storage power. So I have, I guess they've never, they aren't privy to the fact that that devastates the earth and leaves behind this like sludgy, probably radioactive uh, because it glows and looks very it concerning colors. Yeah. yeah. So again, just hints further at the nonsense of all of these radical extremists, again, that are being like egged on by government. This is mm -hmm. being totally mm -hmm. condoned. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how far they get. I think in the article also, they allude to the fact that they're going to like blockade something mm -hmm. this coming weekend. Um, so I'd be interested to know how that's addressed and dealt with if Justin I mean, Trudeau is going to invoke the Emergencies Act. <laughs> well, don't hold your breath on that. Honestly, blocking something for these types of reasons is very common here. It happens very often. There's actually been arrests and things like that. So there probably will be a couple of arrests. That's what usually happens, but definitely nobody's bank accounts 
no mom's bank accounts would be seized for buying a, you know, t-shirt or something like that. So, or, you know, held without bail for 49 days collectively. I mean, how insane, what a difference between how the government addresses radical left versus people just wanting to uphold their basic civil liberties. Mm -hmm. Just, just wild. Um, so I think with that, we're going to, were there any super chats on that topic? I have to, I haven't been able to click back into that section. Drea, do you know if there's any super chats in there? I feel like there should be. Yep. We got one here from G Melinda G60. She donated $2 to us. Thank you so much for that. Down here in Texas. We love your coverage. Hey. How are you? <laughs> and I heard, correct me if I'm wrong, or I read that in Texas, you guys are actually making laws against this type of stuff. Right. You can only, yes. yeah, you guys are, yeah, we love you in Texas too. Uh, Rebels, or no, sorry, uh, King7734 donates a dollar. Thank you so much. Says, Ja, me come to Canada for a better life, but I got a race. A ras clat for a leader. <laughs> oh, ras clat. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. I'm sorry. Uh, it used to be the land of the free here, but you know, with people like yourself uh, coming now, maybe we can stick together and and change it for the good. So, welcome to Canada. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Basically, if you were here before 2016, it was way different. Justin Trudeau has just decimated what we had previously uh, for our societal fabric. And that's just been furthered by the way that COVID has been handled by all levels of government. And uh, it's really sad to see. And I'm hoping with good, strong leadership, eventually we can come out mm-hmm. on this again, upholding true Canadian heritage. So um, mm-hmm. with that being and- said... Oh, sorry, Dre, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and I think people have been sort of pushed to, you know, Canadians were known for being so nice and things like that. I think we're just known for not saying what we really want to say. And I think Mm -hmm. people are being pushed now that we're getting forced to be in this position where we have to kind of stand for our beliefs. It's slowly happening. So that will hopefully help with everything. There's a lot of like the Eeyore syndrome, right? Like the hmm, ha, we're just Mm going to go along to get along and we'll just mosey our way through this. And I think more and more people are seeing, you know, no, uh, if you don't like the way things are going, nothing's going to change unless you start to stand up and speak up. So um, with that being said, we're going to go to an ad break. So we do have some sponsors on today's program uh, where I will read the ad and then we'll play a quick video from them. So on August 25th, 2022. You can join the Alberta Prosperity Project, the APP, and Rebel News at the Edmonton Convention Center, obviously in Edmonton, Alberta, for a very special UCP Leadership Dinner and Forum, where we ask your questions to the UCP leadership candidates and find our and you can find out their agenda 2030 plan for Alberta. You can buy your tickets at Alberta prosperityproject.com. Check out their quick ad.
so fun. It's always nice to mingle in person after being like two years of prevented from having any form of the social yeah. circle, depending on how much you bought into the narrative and complied. But yeah. um, it's always nice to get back into large, large gatherings again. We actually, yeah. in my family, you know, we tried to keep things as, as much as normal for lar- mostly the children because we wanted mm-hmm. them to have good, strong social skills and yeah. ability to maintain that. Um, but it was really unsettling, even for us. I remember the first time we went to a play place again, and it was actually, we were hosting my children's birthday parties there and it was crowded. And I was actually surprised how much the, this play place, how many people they let into the facility. I mean, I thought in like regular times, it would be that seemed a little bit chaotic, but especially coming out of the last two years, even myself, it was kind of unsettling and jarring just being with so many people in confined closed spaces, you know, and the kids are screaming yeah. and flailing and running. Um, so I really feel for some people who have been so isolated. Um, but I urge you just to get back out there and get back yeah. integrated into society because it's so important to have that social interaction. Mm-hmm. One thing we forgot to mention, sorry, before we went to ad break there on the topic of radical environmentalism, um, there's also a plastics yeah. producer here in Canada that has decided to file a court application against the Trudeau, mm-hmm. Trudeau government and their ban on plastics for yeah. to be phased in. So this will be phased in uh, December of this year. So they're banning single-use plastics, you know, straws and cups. And there is a group who has actually filed a court, uh, a lawsuit against them. And I guess this is the second one, actually, I was reading this article, uh, that the they have also done the same in regards to the the harmfulness of plastics that, that the Trudeau government had implemented, I think, in 2020 or 2021. But um, it's so hypocritical all the time. For instance, when I was still a Tim Hortons frequenter, which I'm not anymore. And if you would like to know why that is, you can head over to my petition at letkidscamp.com. Tim Horton's Mm -hmm. foundation camps have been implementing potentially harmful and unscientific mandate on children and youth and all of their staff age 12 and up to attend their camps this past summer. Uh, Mm -hmm. So prior to when I, you know, I get an ice cap, right? On really hot days, it was like, oh, the ice cap is a great Canadian staple here, at least for me in the summers. And they give these, they now give you paper straws, but the whole thing comes in a plastic cup and you can get maybe, I don't know, five, 10 sips in before you're literally drinking the paper straw. Like it just disintegrates. Oh, I know. It's so (laughs) disgusting. And there's actually to-go straws being sent out. This is in the US and they're paper straws that are packed in plastic as well. And it's just kind of like, that's how much sense this all makes, (laughs) you know what I mean? But yeah, it never ends. And when you read the article, of course, uh, minister, uh, environment minister, Stephen Gabol, he says he's pretty confident this will fail. Like, of course he is. Yeah. Under regulations, Gabel finalized in June, the ban is set to be phased in starting this December with an end to the manufacture sale, an import of takeout containers, stir sticks, retail carryout bags, cutlery, and most straws. I don't know about you, but here it's very hard to get a bag. Like if you go to the grocery store, most of them do not give plastic bags or anything like that. I am 
you know, infamous for forgetting my little bag. So it's like each time I'm buying those cloth bags that I have no use for, I have so many, I even donated some of them to a thrift store. So that's, you know, just, I don't know. I don't you know. know. Is that I'm, happening to you guys already? It is. There's, there has been a constant push and I'm kind of of the thought, you know, I like to lessen my, my impact in terms of, you know, I cloth diaper, yeah. I try to use the reusable stuff. I would go to bulk barn with my own jars and refill it. I mean, I do make a conscious effort as a consumer to limit the amount that I consume in, in the way yeah. of plastics and, and uh, single use things. But I don't think that the government should come at people and start to ban it or limit your use or put like a, a plastic, single use plastic uh, allocation on your social credit score or anything like this. I think that if the consumer wishes to go ahead and live that way, because it is a lifestyle change, mm -hmm. then they obviously can, can take that. And if we maybe enable people and give more education, but I don't think there should be mandates in place or this like radical. I mean, the thing for me that really comes up when I think about the ban on single use plastics is the, the medical establishment and mm -hmm. health. I mean, Justin Trudeau loves these vaccines and he just wants everyone to be boosted out the Yahoo. And how are, how is he going to administer and his government going to push consecutive doses onto Canadians if there's a ban on single use plastics? I mean, the whole thing is plastic. How do you make a syringe without plastic? Well, they'll find a way, right? When it matters to them, just like with the masks, how many masks yes. are people thrown out? You see them in shopping carts and everything like this. I went to, um, a doctor's office. I stepped out to go to my car to come something. I came back in. They wanted me to put another one on it. I said, I just put this on. They said, it doesn't matter. You have to put it on. And I'm thinking how many situations like that have we ignored the mounds of, of face masks, um, everywhere. It's just ridiculous, but he'll just, he, maybe he'll just refer to it as a plastic drink thingy. He won't be able to label it and that will get him by. <laughs> a plastic <laughs> injection. But, yeah. Thingy thing. water. <laughs> Oh, and man. also, um, I think that masks are the new paper, st plastic straw, right? I think that For that sure. has like just totally switched because actually yesterday, so I have a video coming out on this I, the next day or two, but I visited the passport office uh, here. And I guess the federal government is still imposing this crazy COVID theater. So for instance, in order to enter their their area in the strip mall so in the strip mall itself you didn't have to wear a mask but as soon as you entered past the service canada doors you had to wear a mask the doors are open you know the airflow is flowing it's all the same yeah. uh, and so of course i'm mask exempt so i never had the opportunity i had to be segregated away from everybody else because of that and my documents had to be handled in a way yeah there it is there was my little office for the day so <laughs> that was me in like the middle of the line oh, i think you at the leper. peak there was like 75 people and I actually used that chair so they segregated me over to the side and I don't want to give away my whole report because it'll be out but while I was sitting there waiting for them to handle my documents with this high-tech viral blocking basket that we had to pass everything back and forth in um they gave out so many people didn't bring masks and so they were providing mm. them for free and yeah countless amounts of masks and then I did see one lady like she came in she did her stuff and then she left and then she got a call that she missed something so she came back they had to give her another mask and these are yeah. like individually plastic wrapped KN95 so they're not cheap and I'm no. just looking around at you know how many masks they gave out the in the short time well it was pretty long actually the time that I was there one day I mean 
maybe that's worth a freedom of information request because <laughs> it was a lot of masks on well, our diet. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. I look forward to your report. I know in BC, I missed it, but some people were actually sleeping overnight to get into the lineup, but they've kind yeah. of changed how you do things. So that's not happening anymore. We do have a super chat for those of you just tuning in. You're like, what is a super chat on certain platforms? Uh, we're encouraging people to check us out on Rumble and Odyssey, for example, so that if we say anything too spicy and get cut off, you won't miss out on anything. And there you can also uh, talk to us you can give us a small donation that helps pays for our journalism, really. And you can also chat with us. So we have AMT60, who's donated a dollar. Thank you very much. And says, did you see the, oh, the doc series called Uninformed Consent and Dr. Trozzi's site on Dr. Trozzi's site? Sorry for butchering that. Very well done. Canadian doctors speak out too. Yes, absolutely. I saw it was very well done. I actually did an interview with the director and one of the doctors who's been interviewed on Rebel News many times, which is Dr. Stephen Malthouse before it launched. But yeah, I encourage you guys to check it out. I know it's on liberty.com as well, but if you search uninformed consent documentary, you should be able to find it by now. And it's one of those documentaries, um, when I interviewed the director, he said this, and I totally agree after watching it. It's one of those things where you're like, if you've been kind of divided with people and they just don't want to hear you, but you're kind of like, oh my gosh, I need to tell my loved ones this. Um, just kind of say, hey, you know what? If you love me, just watch this one thing and then I'll leave you alone unless you want to talk about it more. And some people are actually doing that. I know some people personally who have sent it to friends that they haven't been able to go there with this conversation. And people are actually going, wow, like I've never heard any of this stuff. So yeah, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And Adam- So next on our list. Oh, oh, sorry. There's one more. No, go ahead. Adam Ottawa, who donated a dollar, says, I got my Rebel t-shirts this week. To my surprise, they came with four reusable plastic bags, saving me 20 cents. Thank you for the bonus gift. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, yeah, if you guys want to check out any of our Rebel gear, you can go to rebelnewsstore.com. We're both wearing some of the gear, and I think we still have a code where you, if you buy two unisex shirts, you get a second one free with coupon code SUMMER. And again, that supports our journalism. So thank you so much. <laughs> and Adam, I, I see here he gave another dollar. Thank you for that. I agree with Tamara about being sensible. I was raised to reuse and repair everything, so reusing a plastic bag comes natural to me anyway. It's not a new concept to reduce waste as an individual. Yeah, I agree. I actually just started to see how much garbage we were accumulating at the end of the week. And, you know, when you put your garbage and you're cycling out and I, and I just, I wanted to reduce it. I just didn't want, I didn't feel good about putting that much out to be collected. And, you know, part of my education, my background was actually in sustainable design and, uh, and that green energy. That's why I was, like I said, designing solar panels there for a little bit right out of university. I did see that it's a scam, but there are parts that I decided as a person, as an individual to implement in my own life and for my family. But I do not think that the government should come in with the heavy hand of mandates or taxes or any of this bogus nonsense to force people into that way of life. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I take a hard stand against that stuff. But um, speaking of the hard hand of the government, 
Uh, we have an article here that just came out from Global News where they filed an access to information request to find out how much the Toronto police force spent on dealing with, i.e. preventing, the potential convoy. So uh, from February 2nd to 27th, the Toronto mm-hmm. police spent seven and a half, over $7.5 million dealing with potential local convoy. So of course that refers to the freedom convoy that hit the nation's capital at the same time, but potential, I mean, they didn't even, (laughs) they didn't even know for sure. And so they're spending this insane amount of money on a potential convoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we can go back to that report as well. So they spent seven and a half million and then they spent an additional 1.2 million sending Toronto police officers to Ottawa and then they break down some further funds and things that happened. And, and some of that actually included uh, what they paid the city of Toronto. So they actually utilized city of Toronto buses, some more heavy equipment from various other private and public sectors to help them blockades. So for anyone who doesn't know, in Toronto, there's the parliamentary buildings all of, around Queen's Park. It's like a, a circle of that surrounds the parliament buildings themselves building itself and so police blockaded like every two blocks parameter around Queen's Park downtown Toronto for the better part of the entire month of February every weekend Uh, we can actually maybe I don't know if we have a clip of the one day in particular where a few trucks and police had a bit of a standoff at the intersection of bluer and Queens Park at the north end of the of the roundabout. Um, maybe we can just show a quick clip of that report because I was on the ground that day and tensions, you know, it, tensions rose for sure with the Toronto Police Service and a few of the truckers. Um, I don't know what would have happened had they have gotten through, but I also want to note here that this is part of the human rights complaint that Sarah Miller and with in partnership mm-hmm. with us here at Rebel News and our um, chief editor, Sheila Gunn-Reed, just delivered, hand-delivered in Geneva, Switzerland, yeah. part of that claim. And again, that was given to the United Nations human rights complaint under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that Canada and the government and the police have infringed on people's right to freedom of assembly and freedom to protest what they think the government is doing that's wrong. And so Mm -hmm. this is a direct hindrance on people's right to assemble and protest their government. And they spent seven and a half million dollars to do it. Before it's even happening. Like you don't even get a chance to be peaceful anymore in Canada. And similar thing happened out in Victoria a couple of months ago. They were making a big deal. The news was going off about how there was going to be a trucker convoy and they deployed people to in front of the parliament and were slowing down traffic. Um, You know, there's officers everywhere. Well, I had called to try and cover the event. I called the freedom leaders and they're like, ah, yeah, we're not even doing that. It's not even happening. We might do it next week. They've totally got the, the week wrong. And so here they are slowing down traffic, disturbing everybody, wasting the taxpayer dollars for no reason mm-hmm. for something that isn't even going to happen. And they're going off. I can't remember. There was uh, John Horgan said something. Don't quote me exactly. Exactly. Like something like we don't want you here or go home or something like that. But um, 
it's just totally ridiculous. And I hadn't seen this firsthand, but people told me that in particular, if you had flags in your car there for a while in Victoria, you were getting directed outside of the downtown core as well. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Let me know the flag if that has was, been, uh, happened to you. The flag has been completely um, vilified all throughout this unfolding, especially as the mainstream media continues to portray this in a negative light. Um, I just wanted to write to to go back to one thing with this article. It was a comment made by the Toronto police spokesperson. And he said that, or they, I don't know uh, their gender. I don't want to misgender them. Um, Ultimately, the actions we took in an extremely dynamic situation in partnership with our public and private sector partners. So again, that was like City of Toronto and other heavy equipment buses that they used to blockade the blocks surrounding this potential protest was successful in preventing unreasonable (laughs) disruption while maintaining public safety and allowing for peaceful demonstration. I mean, arguably no, right? They provided or conducted unreasonable disruption, in my opinion, with the way that they literally blocked everyone and everything off from accessing those points. Um, And they didn't allow for peaceful demonstration because people were not allowed to access that area. When I went in to cover that on the Saturday, actually, I was stopped. So there was like police checkpoints all along uh, the perimeter of Queens Park. And so I was stopped trying to drive in to cover the protest. And I wish I was driving alone. So I wish I had it recorded. Um, but I wasn't able to get my phone out in time. And the police basically said, you know, what's your purpose for coming through? And I, I kind of looked at him a bit shocked. Um, and then he said, is it, I wasn't just going to be forthcoming with that information. Right. And he said, is it work related, um, job related or education related? And I said, it's work related. Mm. And he said, okay, go on through, um, no further questions, but it was really unsettling that this is happening in Canada while people are peacefully demonstrating. That is such an invasion. And, you know, out here again, same thing. I don't, the idea of convoys, at least out here, is they're going to drive through. They're not going to stop the traffic. And you have, um, you know, the Vancouver mayor, he put out a statement basically saying, oh, you know, we we can't have these types of things because they're blocking hospitals and things like that. It's like, no, they're going to drive through. So counter protesters came to protect hospital staff. I did a report on that, um, one of the convoys out here. And the counter protesters uh, actually blocked the traffic. They sat and blocked the trucks and vehicles with their flags on that were just going to do loops. They weren't going to stop any traffic and they stopped so much traffic. Um, yeah, that was an interesting report. They were pushing me around as well. So it's just the hypocrisy makes no sense. And the money and the time resort, like, yeah, I mean, I guess they couldn't spend $8 million on this and then be like, oops, sorry, we got it wrong. So they have to be like, yeah, good job. Well done. Like it's, it's (laughs) insane. It's just more hypocrisy of the new and what I'm finding actually is just the old normal. It's all just blatant hypocrisy. And if you can think critically, you can cut through it with a knife because it is so thick. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's really gross. But we have another uh, super chat. Thank you from Fraser Frasebo. Uh, Fraser, he gives $5. Fraser says, if I were the leader of Al-Qaeda, would you call me a terrorist? Yes then why don't you call the WEF a terrorist organization? The WEF only wants to eliminate 90% of the world's population. 
Um, yes. <laughs> the, uh, the language is a little bit aggressive for, for me to be able to, um, to address, verify yeah. that, but, um, definitely again, it just hints at the hypocrisy of what these organizations are doing, what they denounce on one side and then facilitate on the other. Again, if you're a critical thinker, you can see through it. And so my hope is by just exposing some of that hypocrisy that it helps people to see through it as well. Mm -hmm. And all right. right. And then we have the labor shortage in Canada. So I don't know. I think we may have touched on this a little bit last week, or maybe we were chatting um, off uh, off record about it. But the the signs up everywhere I'm seeing help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. And it's the same in BC. Yeah. So this particular star article says a higher percentage of Canadians between 15 and 64 are working now than before the pandemic. So why is there a labor shortage? Mm -hmm. And um, basically, the article alludes to the fact that the baby boomers have retired. So, of course, we saw that baby boom after World War II, and all of them are coming into their 60s and 70s now. And so many of them are starting to be at that age where they will retire. But as far as I'm concerned, and from what I'm hearing from a lot of people who maybe are on the cusp of that age demographic, they actually just decided to retire early throughout the pandemic when all of the mayhem started to unfold. And especially like I've mentioned before with the mask mandates, when they came into effect, so many people could not comply with that. And they tried to, in good faith, wear their masks, but a Mm -hmm. lot of people struggled. And if they were close enough to that retirement uh, point in their career, they opted to take early retirement or just retire and get out of, wash their hands of it completely. You know, it's a combination of things. You hit it on the nail there, but also just in general. I mean, uh, where we live, we're very busy. We're not the easiest place for mental health. And then you throw on masks. Nobody's ever seeing a smile anymore. There's a lot of people who were fearful of customers, right? They were afraid of, of, you know, if you remember the stuff that would go out about, you know, your grocery store clerk, it's, you know, this big hero because they're serving you and you could basically be making them and their family die. I mean, a lot of people felt like their work had become a battle, a war zone everywhere that they went. And so the stress of that and the environment, I mean, it had to have all affected everything that's happening. But it is interesting if they're saying there's more people working now I, I'm still not quite connecting the dots and I'm seeing it out here too, the, the help wanted signs. I've asked people, um, you know, you know, I notice these signs are up everywhere in the area, especially Chilliwack out here. And they're like, yeah, it's been the last two years. And they usually say, Oh, since serve. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not still happening, but maybe it's also a matter of people got used to being lazy, like, or just like getting mm-hmm. by with less money. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's grooming great for a, a universal income or something like that. I don't know what it is, but I definitely think it's a combo of thing, things. I also know a lot of people who have left Canada as well, or left provinces, like they yes. switched different provinces to try to find a better life as well. So there's just a yeah. lot happening at the same time. I think I think so too. I think there's definitely gaps in this article where it leaves you with more questions than answers. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did note is this particular quote from uh, Trisha Williams. They they decide to reach out to her for comment. She's the director of research, evaluation, and knowledge mobilization at the Future Skills Center. Um, she says, "Well, there's been great talk about the Great Resignation." 
throughout the pandemic um, and its potential impact on the labor market, the unemployment numbers prove, apparently, that that phenomenon did not play out. She says that the Great Resignation has been more of a U.S. story than a Canadian one, um, noting that the Canadian market saw workers switching jobs during the pandemic, mm -hmm. but not entirely exiting the workforce. So that mm -hmm. is something that I yeah. have also heard. And I think, and again, we discussed this last week on the live stream as well, that we have nurses, I know nurses and PSWs yeah. and healthcare workers who are now cleaning houses, yeah, who are now too. babysitting like the go -to kids. Now. Yeah, because yeah. there's no child and they're liking it. Sorry, go on. And yeah, and they like it. They They can wash their hands, pun intended, of their job at the end of the day when they get home and they don't have to worry about it. They're not fatigued. They're not burnt out. They're not being underpaid. Um, so there's definitely that great resignation. And she alludes to it being, you know, the, um, the great uh, switching of careers instead of a re full resignation. So people are still in the workforce, mm -hmm. apparently, despite the fact that there are help wanted signs literally everywhere, but I think there are help wanted signs in certain sectors. So I'd be interested mm -hmm. to break down where the most help is wanted and needed yeah, and where did those people go to if they just simply mm -hmm. switched careers? Well, switching also means there's training involved. And I think there's been like almost new areas where you needed new people to do things you never needed them before, like stand at the door and see if you have a mask. Like there's all of these different elements to it. I just want to add to when you were talking about the healthcare workers. And yes, we talked about that last week with the nurses going into cleaning and liking it. Um, I won't say which doctor, but I spoke to another doctor who you know, is fighting and, and trying to get, you know, rights in BC to be in the hospital and everything like that. But at the same time, he's like, if it wasn't for fighting for the betterment of my country, I, to be honest, I'm doing good. Like <laughs> life is way less stressful. You know, I'm not getting called at all hours of the day and everything like that. And so that is the, the danger we're seeing here is where you have these skilled people who literally go to work to save your lives, who've been pushed to, to not mm -hmm. be there for us and are going, you know what, what was I dealing with all that stress before? So we're going to lose all these people, even if they're allowed back, these mandates have such a residual effect. Um, and yeah. it's all just working against us. So, yeah. Yeah, I, think, I agree uh, that we're going to get to some super chats uh, and then we have to speed things up because we have a bunch of COVID related topics yes. to get to as well. So um, we'll go through these super chats and then we're going to have an ad break and then we'll be switching. We'll be cutting our YouTube stream because we can't unfortunately provide a uh, great comment and express our real views on this platform. Uh, they censor everything that contradicts the widely accepted safe and effective narrative. So we'll be cutting from YouTube. Join us on Rumble, Odyssey, or Getter. And of course, you can send us super chats to engage with us on the live stream there. Um, Phrase Bow gives $1. Have you had have you have any information on the crime the RCMP caused to the excavators at Coots, Alberta? I haven't been following that story as closely as some of our um, Alberta correspondents. So, Fraser, that might be a better um, comment to one of them. But um, what's the website? We have a website uh, that's specific to the Alberta convoy. And well, I think it's just all convoy reports, isn't it? Or trucker, is it truckerlawyer.com? Well, we have convoy reports and then we have the trucker documentary. Would it be there? I think there's, and there's the, 
Yeah, the truckerlawyer.com. And that's specifically about the legalities what with what's happening there. So Fraser, you may be able to find out what you're looking for at that website. Unfortunately, I apologize. I'm just not as up on the Alberta mm-hmm. stuff as probably I should be. Um, wrong way 54 gives $5. Thank you. I hope you're not too far down the wrong way. Um, sounds like the WEF <laughs> is making Trudeau a billionaire with the never ending COVID jabs at all of our expense, pain and suffering. Definitely these pandemic profiteers, you know, they're not suffered the financial fallout of any of these policies. And so that again, hints at the hypocrisy of this alleged new normal. C. Balak donates $10. Thank you so much. Says, I appreciate Rebel and all that you are doing. Are there particular, are there practical ways we can fight against the arrive can? Oh, that's a good one. God keep our land glorious and free. So we have a special website called noarrivecan.com. I know Tamara, you've done reports on that, right? Um, yeah, so Alexa definitely- as well. Mm-hmm. Alexa. So one of the ways you can fight back is signing our petition so we can demand pressure on that. And our charity hey, partners at the democracy. Oh, <laughs> David's like, but I just wanted to say one more thing. Our uh, charity partners at the democracy fund are also looking for strategic plaintiffs to take on, to go ahead and challenge the arrive can. And we have a forum for that as well. Hopefully it's all on in one place there for you. Um, so check it out there. Uh, and fill out, if you've got a crazy story that you think should help with that legal challenge, then go ahead and sign the petition and fill that form out as well, please. And share, very important to share. So you get the right people. Yeah, I think what I'm seeing on social media, and you can find that on Twitter and maybe other social media outlets as well, is that people are just choosing not to comply. So I think it was something like 30% of Canadians have just straight up not complied with the Arrive Can requirement. And uh, there's some wording and things to use that I've seen on social media. I mean, personally, I'm not a lawyer. I don't want this to constitute as legal advice because I've never navigated that situation. But there's some interesting things happening there with people who are, mm-hmm. you know, standing their ground on that and refusing to download it. Mm-hmm. Um, AMT60 gives $1. Thank you. Did you sign up for CPC leadership so you can vote for a leader? I did. And Roman Baber is coming to Whitby Legion tonight. And I'm going so I can meet him. My three choices are Roman, Pierre, and Leslin Freedom. Uh, No, I don't. I'm not a member of any of the political parties, and I do that intentionally. So I personally won't be voting. But um, I really appreciate that Roman took a principled stance, not as early as I would have liked to have seen. You know, I've been in the COVID dissident world since at least the end of March or end of April, early May. And... um, Eventually, he joined on with that, you know, you could no longer deny the evidence showing that what they were doing was harmful. Um, so so I think that Roman's a principled politician. Pierre and Leslin, I don't have anything, you know, negative. Uh, maybe I criticized Pierre a little bit about the fact that he um, won't necessarily talk to alternative media or any media. So I can't really complain because it seems to just treat everyone the same in that regard. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a strategy there. But um, Lewis is starting to speak out about something sudden adult death. She spoke out about that. Uh, she's, uh, I just saw today, actually, she sent out a thing about Tamara Leach being a political prisoner. So very interesting to see what's happening as the race is going down. Um, I like that she's speaking out and she definitely spoke out before uh, Pierre, but I wonder somehow if sometimes it's more like picking up 
where Pierre is lacking and trying to be like, Hey, he's not talking about this. So I'll go there. But, uh, whatever gets exposure to these things that are swept out of the rug, I'm for it. So, yeah. And then we have the Graham donated $10. Thank you so much. And says greetings from Scotland. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here and for your donation. I have a friend in Scotland. And so if you're that friend, hello back. Um, but if not, regardless, I uh, hear it's beautiful out there. I want to go. Uh, Shauna Marie G83 gives $10. Thank you very much. Maybe there are staff shortages because those that took the job are no longer with us. Um, so maybe we should just get off of YouTube. <laughs> I, uh, we should have proceeded with caution on that one. Um, maybe... We don't know for sure. I mean, there's definitely, you can allude to it. If you're still, if we're still on YouTube, join us on those other platforms. We're going to get into some of the COVID nitty gritty. We have only a few 10 or so minutes left. Um, so join us yeah. on Rumble, BitChute, or Odyssey. And feel free to super chat us there to engage with us directly. Um, producer, can you give me the one, two in my ear when we're off of YouTube and we can comment on that? When we can breathe, it's like, we're good. It's okay. like taking your corset um, off journalistically. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the the squeeze of YouTube and now we're, okay, we're free-ish. Yeah. Um, so maybe there are staff shortages. Yeah, that's definitely something that we, we didn't even bother touching on because we're still on YouTube. But absolutely, I would love to see one day the real data mm -hmm. there on how many people we lost to the jobs mm -hmm. themselves but also who refused to comply with the mandates. And that goes back now over a year. Um, so really sad for all the people who felt coerced into it. And then of course the people who have had to change their entire life based on the fact they were no longer able to remain gamefully employed. Mm -hmm. All right. So I think now we're going into uh, the Ottawa police detective who allegedly sought links between COVID vaccine and child deaths, right? So very fitting. Yeah. So a detective. Is that, is that where we're going next? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> De detective doing detective work is now under investigation for doing the work that they were hired to do. Um, wow. I can't even, I mean, I can believe this is the world we're living in, but again, the hypocrisy here. And so apparently, so this is Helen um, Gruss. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, so she began initiating her own little digs into a number of baby deaths. So I guess this occurred sometime between June 2020 and January 22nd, 2022. So, you know, the better part of a year and a half. Um, the injections didn't start rolling out, though, until December 2020, the very tail end there. So I don't know why it would have started in June 2020, if that's just more like a rough date that they give, but that was a little bit confusing to me because if she was mm -hmm. specifically trying to target post-injection phenomena that we continue to hear about, um, but obviously the data is not in yet about that because it bulk of it would have happened in 2021. Mm. And um, so I guess she was going a little bit above and beyond her duties there and, and contacting yeah. families and things like this. But if you start to hear stuff on the ground and she was the detective for um, child child abuse unit and sexual assault. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a bit muddied there, the waters in terms of if that was really her role and, and if she was going above and beyond her professional role to do this. But I think this is the Lord's work. You know, no yeah. one else is looking into these connections and no one else is doing this investigation. And if she had the resources to try to 
find out maybe a hint of what's going on and probe more investigation, then I think all the power to her. Um, yeah. If anyone well, has a contact for Helen Bruce, uh, please send it to, you know, tips at rebel news or myself, Tamara, Tamara at rebelnews.com. I'd love to get in touch with her and chat, even if just off the record and see uh, if she needs any assistance, even legally. Speaking of off the record, I did contact um, an officer friend of mine just to get their input on this uh, article. And obviously I'm not going to name the person, but it was basically what you said, you know, great that they did it. If they did, it's alleged, but um, also there are rules and you're not supposed to go over into other people's investigations. And so there is a lot of stuff like that. And there are reasons that that happens. You can't go rogue and do sort of vigilante work mm-hmm. and, you know, contacting family members. Um, typically you would say, you know, I have this hunch, I have this feeling, and you would go to a superior and say, can I look into this? So it's possible that happened and she was declined. I mean, I'd, if, if I was in this position, um, it would be very hard if I really believe that this is happening, which I believe. <laughs> um, and then I go and then I get shut down you're, you're faced with that moral dilemma. You know, what's more right. important getting to the bond, bottom of this or not. So I can certainly understand, but I, I, I do understand both sides because, um, you know, there's a lot of issues there, even with privacy of citizens and things like that, that can get really muddy. So just to play devil's advocate a little bit there. <laughs> Yeah, no, the the waters are muddy in this situation. Um, And I agree, it would be a massive moral dilemma. And I always err on the side of being, you know, more moral in the sense of trying to see if there's a real phenomena happening here with, um, with, with newborn with babies, newborn babies, I mean, they have no voice, they can't advocate for themselves, they literally rely on the adults in their lives to do that for them. And if the Mm -hmm. adults are aloof, or being misguided, or misled on some of the science around Mm -hmm. these things well then it's up to other people who are have that moral compass to maybe fill those gaps um so again if anyone has a contact for helen bruce i would love to speak with her um and showing that the science continues to evolve around the covid injections and maybe they weren't as safe as and effective as they were originally sold to canadians as uh there's this new article out of the epic times that 29% of young Pfizer COVID vaccine recipients suffered heart effects. Surprise, surprise. So um, this study came out of uh, Thailand, I believe. I thought I, I yeah. thought I wrote it down here, but it was a fairly small um, sample size. I think it was just over right. 300 children. That's always mm-hmm. a bit concerning. Yeah. Yeah, it um, definitely has its shortcomings, that's for sure. Um, but even if it was 15%, like it's, it's still a high number. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not the easiest thing. I I can't speak for Thailand out here. It's hard for researchers to even do this type of study and get the information that they need and, and find things like that. So, um, yeah, they studied, uh, 13 to 18 year olds. So right in that demographic that I had been investigating on with data analyst, Kelly Brown, you know, the myocarditis incident rates. And, um, so out of the 301 students aged 13 to 18, there was a bunch of them that had heart defects or heart, heart effects. So, uh, they experienced heart palpitations, chest pain, and shortness of breath. 54 had abnormal electrocardiogram results, six experienced mitral valve prolapse. I mean, wow, that's severe. 
Um, the Mayo Clinic describes that as a heart valve disease. And six had high blood pressure. And seven were diagnosed with heart inflammation. In an age demographic, otherwise not at all at risk of severe COVID outcomes or, you know, more aggressively death. It, it is so infuriating. And in the past, I mean, 54 kids getting any kind of reaction, let alone to something like the heart, which doesn't regenerate, that would end it. That would be the end yes. of it for everything. And here we are in this maddening society now where it's like, oh, it's just no big deal, no big deal there. And, you know, it's, it's frightening, honestly. And, and the people who are seeing these cases, whether it's the triage or whatever, and they're, they're actually witnessing it, they're still in the hospital and they're still watching it. Reminds me of the, the cop we're just talking about, but at some point you got to realize you are accountable for these things. You can't keep letting these things happen and not speak about them. So it's beyond time. Uh, if it's happening in Thailand, it's happening here. And now we've got exactly. babies getting involved. So speak That's up. really sad. The end of that article, uh, there's a subtitle reaction. And I guess they, they reached out to several cardiologists after reviewing the paper, um, which said that this particular paper adds to the body of evidence that the risks of the vaccine may outweigh the benefits. I mean, yes, <laughs> finally <laughs> we're there. Um, then they quote Dr. McCulloch. So he's been, uh, he's a right. cardiologist. He's been dissenting on the COVID stuff uh, since pretty much the onset. Um, really an un unsounded, unfounded, unsounded hero throughout the narrative. Mm -hmm. He says any form mm -hmm. of heart damage in young persons is concerning since the long-term risks of heart failure and sudden death with exercise mm -hmm. are unknown. Thank you, yeah. Peter McCulloch. Yeah. And, and it's to nice show to give that, voice. Well, and to show that um, the risk versus benefit profile is starting to trickle out and actually affect policy, Denmark has officially ended COVID-19 vaccinations for anyone under the age of 18. So they're doing away with it completely. I don't know why they're not doing it right away. There's a deadline, um, I guess, as of the end of, of August, or maybe it was the end of July, that maybe they don't. anyone under 18 would no longer be able to receive any of the COVID-19 vaccines. So thank you, Denmark. But mm -hmm. where's the rest of the world? <laughs> Well, yeah, Denmark's making exception for the immune compromise. Ugh, I don't know why. Like, if, But anyways, they're making exceptions. And it probably I would think that the delay has to do with just the fact that some people are going to go into shock about it. Like, you know, <laughs> so they're like giving giving those people, unfortunately, a chance to rush their kid in and get it um, instead of just doing what you should do and say, this is a harmful experiment. It's time to end it. Um, but yes, thank you, Denmark for now. <laughs> Actually, Hopefully so it they came don't into effect back. July 1st. So you already in Denmark, you cannot okay. no longer under 18, unless I guess, yeah, you're immunocompromised. And so also though that prevents mandates from ever being coming into effect, like here in Canada, we had mandates for 12 and up in Ontario you know, for kids to play hockey and to play sports and to access a movie theater or sit down with their friends at a mall to eat. Anyone 12 and up had to show a vaccine passport. So um, obviously, yeah, if this sort of thing happens where the health authority no longer approves it, then those sort of mandate situations cannot come into effect naturally. So yeah, I'm looking at the time. My goodness, it's been an hour. Oh, time yes, flies when you're having fun. And we just got into the nitty gritty, but that's okay. Because uh, I know that I will uh, work on writing up some of the stuff that we were going to talk about that didn't get to covered. So that will be coming soon on Rebel News. 
maybe you as well, but, um, yes. And I'm sorry, everyone, I wouldn't normally mind staying late. Um, but I do have another interview scheduled right after. So we're going to like breeze through these super chats really quickly and, um, try to stay on time here. So yeah, I know Drea, it's always nice to catch up with you. Um, Alexa Lavoie. Hey, Alexa. So that's our colleague, our Quebec correspondent. Um, she gives us $2. Thanks, Alexa. Thank you. Hello, my two beautiful girls. I just wanted to send you some love. Oh, that's so nice. And my question is, how did you start working for Rebel News? Oh my gosh, worst oh, time to so be going cute. over. <laughs> I know, right? That's such a long story. So in very short for myself, I uh, was ranting on YouTube about everything that was going on and getting censored and ranting more. And then uh, Rebel found one of my videos. <laughs> yeah, my, my story is way more, My it's quite convoluted. So I'll try to condense and the short of the long is, yeah, I was engaging in some civil disobedience. I had been denouncing the COVID narrative uh, starting very early on, like I mentioned in April. Um, in my locale, they closed down all of our public spaces, including green spaces. So they closed down the forest, the beach, the river sides, the playgrounds that you couldn't go anywhere. Um, and so after several months of that, I decided to walk my beach shoreline in defiance of the arbitrary closure of the beach itself. I ended up being arrested and I was detained and then I was charged criminally. Uh, so Rebel News had just launched their Fight the Fines campaign at that time. So if you're not familiar, you can go to fightthefines.com and check out our reports there. But essentially anyone who had been hit with a COVID related fine could apply to have free legal defense on their behalf of the fact that this was all egregious and arbitrary. And so I applied. And when David Menzies came out and did the interview with me, I guess Ezra and the team liked the way that I spoke and what I was about, and they offered me a job. So that was really great because the sector I was working in previously had been completely shut down. My husband and I actually lost our business due to the COVID lockdowns. And um, I figured after I had been arrested, I'd probably never get hired anywhere locally again. So it was <laughs> kind of all worked out and I absolutely love what I'm doing now. So that's kind of the short of the long of it. Yeah, well, I feel like it's long. I'll have to give my version, <laughs> my longer version another time. <laughs> Facebook gives another dollar. Thank you so much. And says, in the case of the nurses that were fired, they were headhunted out of Canada and now are working in Florida with no snow. I do know a lot of people have gone to Florida. That is for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Here on now gives a dollar. Thank you. Says, I do sign your petitions. Do they work? Very good question. Um, Yes, they do. (laughs) One of the things that petitions do that people maybe don't think of is they help keep people accountable. So there are a lot of people who are lawmakers and things like that, where they can't just go and just say what they think. They're supposed to be representing the constituents. So when you hand uh, petitions like that, it gives them an actual tangible thing and says, hey, listen, we need to discuss this issue. This is how many people are involved. And so that's what I've heard, uh, mostly off record from from people that get these things like, thank you so much for doing that. Cause now I had something to stand on. So don't think that if you don't see some, you know, the law change tomorrow, it didn't have an effect behind the scenes. I also think it's a great way also to show people just how many others are interested in the same cause, right? When you yeah. see that a petition is doing really well and it garnered a bunch of signatures, it's like, okay, 
we're on the target here. We know that people agree with whatever the topic involved in the petition is. And it's a way to also just get feedback and a feel for what Canadians and the demographic in the audience cares about. Um, and, and like you said, yeah, have some accountability and, and show the people who you're opposing their policy or, or what have you, hey, this is how many people oppose what you're doing. And are you going mm-hmm. to consider their viewpoints or not? Mm-hmm. It gives a voice to the silent majority. And it also lets people who want to get voted in next time realize they better start paying attention to these issues. So please sign and share petitions. Um, Shauna Marie G83 donates $2. Thank you so much. And says 300 is not that small considering the size of the so-called clinical trial. And Good so point. that was in reference to uh, what we just said about, what was it? 24, 29, right? 29%? Yes. The Pfizer. 29%. Yeah had uh, an adverse reaction, a heart-related adverse reaction to Pfizer specifically in a study in Thailand. And yeah, it's not too small, even if it was just a few kids. So that's insane. It's very alarming. And I wish every parent was properly informed about this before they allowed their kids or or their kids. Especially to, I think she's referring to the clinical trial that Pfizer itself conducted in those age demographics. Oh, and so it was like just oh. over a thousand participants, right? And but half of them, so point. 500 roughly were vaccinated and the other 500 were the placebo. And so it's actually quite close in comparison to wow, that, which yeah. is why I said that 300 is not a large sample size because those clinical trials have been denounced for not being substanti- substantial mm-hmm. enough in terms of the participants. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, in comparison there, it actually probably is fairly similar to the placebo versus the control, but in the grand scheme of safety testing, it's very small. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we're just a mere seven minutes over. Thank you everyone for joining us. And sorry, I have to fly off to my next interview and I mean fly literally because I'll be like the Tasmanian devil like trying to eat and use the bathroom and prep quickly and then hop on the next call so um, thanks for joining us I think this is our official Thursday spot so if you like what you hear and you want to join Drea and and I again tune back next Thursday from 12 to 1 p.m eastern and of course every day same time and place to hear from the other rebels as well all right bye for now everyone We're at the epicenter of the initial outbreak. WA1, Washington 1, is considered the ancestral model strain. Um, This center. I I developed the ancestral model strain. (laughs) (laughs) I created it. That's right. You you let it loose. I was in my kitchen. (laughs) You let it loose. Okay. Gain of function. Here we come. (laughs) You were here making a rancha, Italian meatballs, and that's a gain of function. (laughs) All right.